hit it. Hello there, and welcome to Sweet Child of Time. Today we're doing 1899, episode 6, The Pyramid. It's me, your host, Steve Barnes, and I'm here with my, I want to say co-host, but he's really my first mate, Nate. Ahoy, Nate. Howdy, Steve. Howdy. How's things going? Peachy keen. How are things with you? Very well. I'm very anxious to get to the next episode, The Storm, but first we got a podcast about the pyramid which uh, i was a little i was um not as excited about this episode at first as i was about episode five because like not as much big stuff happened i guess you really think so well i thought so at first um i went back and and wrote down like the bullet points of what happened and it's a lot more than i gave it credit for the first time I think just the last episode wowed me so much that upon first watch of this episode, I wasn't as wild until I watched it for the second or third time and started taking my notes. And I was like, this is more than I thought. I think that we are opposite because I was not impressed with last week's episode. Mm-hmm. But this week brought, brought my faith back a little bit. Yeah. What was it about it then? Uh, I just think that it was a little more graphic than the other episodes. Well, it was certainly more graphic than the other episodes. Uh, It raised a lot more questions, which is something that I liked from the beginning of the show. Um, And I just think that it had a nice blend of drama and mystery and a little bit of action. Absolutely had all that. Yeah, my bullet points here are that we got introduced to the crystals. We got introduced to some pyramid world, which is a possible new reality. We got um, explained Tove's family drama. Um, Ada was not part of that. Uh, We got Daniel revealing himself as Mara's husband. That's some pretty big stuff. Like, huge. Um, pulling apart reality, like they're just grabbing <laughs> the sky and the walls and pulling reality apart. Uh, that's pretty crazy. And it seems like they're trapped inside giant ships. And we see like a big courtyard full of ships at the end, which actually we see that at the beginning of every episode in the intro. It's the first thing we see in the intro is this big yard full of ships. Um, so then they showed it to us in real life this time. Um, yeah, and for things that actually happen, we got Virginia touch those crystal things and something's happening with Virginia. Lucian reveals his brain tumor. But I guess what really threw me off was like the first maybe five minutes before the credits started because it just seemed like the tone was off. To me, it just seemed like the, the tone when Tove woke up in that room and the ship with them and she was kind of freaking out. Then Daniel took control and Ike took control. It just seemed like their tone was just way off. And that immediately kind of threw me off from the get-go. Did you not get that? No, it seemed more like it almost didn't flow with the end of last episode. And it, it I, all, I, I had to check to see if I was watching the right episode at first. Yeah, I did maybe too. Maybe if I had maybe missed something and maybe accidentally hit seven or... But, and maybe it was done like that on purpose. 
maybe because I thought the exact same thing. I was like, did I miss something? Because last episode, Tove wasn't waving a gun around wanting to kill the boy or wanting to point guns at Mara. That was not Tove last episode. So I thought that her tone was way off. But then again, though, um, when people wake up, when they get told by whoever, when they get told by Mara to wake up, you know, their eyes are always open and they're always in a big panic. So I guess that kind of ties in with that. Yeah. I don't know. Those are just my initial thoughts of this episode. I mean, it, it, I mean, if all the other episodes get like, you know, tens and nines, I give this one a, you know, a solid eight or like a solid 7.75 at first viewing. It went up after second or third viewing, but yeah, I just thought some of those, some of those initial changes were a little bit jarring to me. So I was um, kind of thrown off at first. Uh, but let's see. I want to go into a couple, little bit of news before we start the actual recap here. There you go. You're golden. So uh, 2021, we had on Netflix, they had a huge hit with Squid Games. It was like their number one show. It was this non-English show, and it was a huge phenomenon for Netflix. 2022, they did not have that same magic. They were doing um, stuff like... Dahmer, which of course is not, you know, original material. They were doing Wednesday, of course. And those are the big two big shows of 2022 for Netflix was Dahmer and Wednesday, which are not, you know, uh, original property. So 1899 kind of slipped in there as its foreign show, its original property show. And it, it ended up kicking butt like out of the, uh, top 10 shows, for 2022 for the most amount of minutes watched 1899 came in number three uh, Wednesday came in number one which is not a surprise and it came in number one with a bullet I mean it beat everybody else by billions but you know number two through number 10 were all pretty steady and yeah 1899 was number three so that at, we're really hoping that our wishes are going to come true and these seasons are going to come in good timing because they haven't began filming for season two yet. So we're all waiting for stuff to happen. We're waiting for news to drop. Well, you're good, but you're, you're good buddies with Jerome. Maybe you get some inside information with him. I'm trying, I'm trying, you know, we've been chatting it up, uh, you know, sharing the, sharing the Instagram space, but he's keeping tight-lipped, you know. Him and Alexander, William, both, they're just like, nap. Oh, speaking of news, that's something else I found out. Anchor, the fellow who plays, well, I should say William Alexander, who plays Anchor, also plays Tom in The Wheel of Time. But we just found out yesterday that Tom is not going to be in season two of Wheel of Time. Just not because he's not going to be in the story, but just because he has nothing going on in season two. So we're not going to see him. I wonder if that might have something to do with him filming 1899 and not being available. So they wrote him out of the plot. Um, quite possible because he's supposed to be in the plot and, and it doesn't really make a huge difference for the story that he's not going to be there, but just interesting news. that's tied in with 1899. And I was kind of hoping that might be the reason like, Hey, I can't do wheel of time because I'm going to be anchor. I don't know. But here, I'll get started here with our recap. We start out with 
Tove. She is the one having the, the memory slash dream. She's frantically chasing Ada through the woods here. Ada's ducks behind a tree and acts all cheeky. And then we see a mean dude with a big red beard. Looked like Cousin Eddie from uh, <laughs> Christmas Holiday, right? How, what is that? What's that movie called? Holiday Vacation. Something. Yeah. <laughs> That's who he looked like to me as Cousin Eddie. That wakes her up. Uh, she's frantic. And this is like I was telling you, there's a real tone shift in Tove. She's waving her gun around, wanting to kill the boy. Um, no one, luckily, has <laughs> got her back on this one. Everybody's kind of shocked. And uh, Daniel and Ike take center stage first. Daniel jumps in front of Mara to protect her. Um, he seems mad at Ike for whatever reason in this scene. But Ike definitely takes charge. He sends people off on their little missions. Um, he and Mara are going to team up and find the boy. I guess in the back of his mind, he's like, she and I know about the portals, so we're going to go look in the portals. Uh, he gets the men to go start the engines and the women to go look for survivors, except for Ling Yi, who wants to stick by Olek's side. You <laughs> can't blame her. I mean, I guess you can. I don't know why that wasn't addressed, but it just happened. Uh, nobody talked about it. Did you think that was odd, or did did you see something that I missed? No. thought it was pretty normal. Well, he sends the men down below, but he keeps the priests up with the um, with Sebastian, which I guess is like his second mate. And I guess he did that because he didn't want to put the priests to labor. I suppose that's my guess as to why he did that. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, even though Ramiro has proven himself to be a pretty able person, able-bodied person, and shoot, um, Anchor is a farmer, so <laughs> they could definitely shovel some coal down there. But they're on uh, was it telegraph duty? I suppose. You mentioned speaking of Ramiro. You mentioned last episode. Um, Angel goes down below with the guys to get the ship started up. But you mentioned that last episode, you caught something I did not catch, which was Angel really freaking out in his room, freaking out bad by himself. So I'm wondering if maybe he had a situation at that time where he was, but we didn't see it, like an off-camera situation where he had just woken up from a Mora dream, perhaps. That's possible. I did not think of that. I didn't either until this episode, but I mean, it's just a theory. I mean, we'll see what, you know, I'm, I hope we get one of these for everybody to explain some stuff because we, yeah, we haven't looked into Angel and Ramiro's past yet. So we, we want to see that. Okay. Yeah. Then we go into the intro after this. I noticed that Virginia is covered in crystals in this intro. Like when you see her character, there's crystals all around her. And the boy seems to be, the crystals are like swirling around him in the intro as well. We also see Crestor with his hands outstretched and there's crest, there's crystals like around by his hands. So I didn't notice the crystals before and pay attention to them, but now I am. I got, I got bad news. Okay. I skip the intro every time. <laughs> Just like James the Marshland Monster, man. Look, man, if it's an option, if I heard it once, 
Uh, that, that's it. The only <laughs> intros that I watch every time are American Horror Story. Did the, do the, um, I, I've only seen like one or two seasons of that, so I don't remember what the intro or those were like. But did they, did they give you like clues about the show like in the intro or anything like that? Or is it just standalone? Uh, it's like a very general theme. So there's not really any true clues of like what the plot is, just maybe what's involved. But now that you're telling me this, now I need to actually watch the intro. You do. Now, knowing these crystal things, you'll see where they pop up. And those are the three people they pop up on. Virginia, the boy, and Crestor. Which Virginia makes sense because she touches it later. The boy, I guess, makes sense because he's so weird. But Crestor does not make sense. Yeah. Also, in this episode, I noticed um, this is also one of the things that kind of I'm going to get like a lot of haters now because I'm always talking about how much I love this show and how it's great. But I did notice it's a common theme that we've seen like in every episode. It's a, it's a writer's device where they have like a three-step reveal where they'll show you the beginning of somebody's dream. That's kind of like the, I don't know, just to give you a clue as to what's going to happen later. And then they show you another portion of their dream. And then they show you another portion of it that reveals even more. Then they show you on the third step, the big kicker that like the big thing happens. So that's been consistent with every episode. And it's just something that I noticed and it happened here as well with Tove. Next up, the ship's power is down. Obviously, that's why they're going down below to get the power going back. But we see like those little crystals seeping in. We get the first glimpse of them on that boiler room electricity board thingy. Uh, and I thought they were scarabs at first when I saw that. And I had to back it up. Did you like at that point? Did you have any idea what you were looking at, or because I did not? I, I, even though I don't watch the intros, which I'll start doing now, <laughs> I did. I did put two and two together and knew that the that the intro has a bunch of crystals, and these must be the crystals from the intro. It's not it. It's not just a a fancy design anymore. They actually have something to do with the show. Yeah. I guess I might as well go ahead and go now into some of the research I did on these crystals. Um, Well, a little, I say research. I did some Googling. (laughs) I Googled black crystals. It was the first thing I Googled. And I came up with two things. First, I looked up obsidian because I thought, you know, obsidian might fit the bill here. But these look exactly like black Tourmaline? I don't know if you're familiar with tourmaline at all. I am not. Nope. It says black crystals like tourmaline harbor significant meaning due to the darkness and depth of their color. For many, black tourmaline represent purification and the cleansing of the emotional body. In other words, the stone can rid the mind of any negative energies and thoughts like anxiety, anger, and feelings of worthlessness. Black tourmaline's meaning is quite significant. These gemstones are seen as a symbol of strength. Crystal healers believe that black tourmaline crystals can help give its bearer the inner strength they need to overcome substance abuse. It helps to rid them of thoughts and behaviors that may potentially be harmful, such as obsessive compulsions and excessive worry. Uh, The stone is said to increase physical vitality, increasing one's energy level, helping them ha- function on a higher level. 
And lastly, it's believed that black tourmaline is a good replacement for stress and tension. Instead, it helps the bear view the world more objectively, allowing for clearer, more rational thought. Okay. <laughs> That's what I said, too. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff looks dangerous to me. Uh, it looks sharp. She, You heard a little sharp sound when Virginia touched it, and she went, ow! Yeah. I thought that when Virginia touched it, I thought that there was a beetle there. And then when they zoomed in, I saw it was the crystal, and I was like, oh. Well, I guess with the power being out, I'm not sure if the power being out in the boat is like what made the crystal start to appear. Or if it was something else, just part of the grand scheme of things. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Here's another thing, too. I'm sorry. One more thing about black termalite, which which was uh, interesting to me because it sounds like Virginia. It says wearing black termaline as a necklace or a bracelet ensures skin to skin contact and will provide greater abilities to feel the vibrations of the black tourmaline. So I don't know if that's going to take over her brain and she's going to become like an Uber Virginia. She looks pretty panicked. I know that, but (laughs) we haven't gotten to that part. I keep getting ahead of myself, but I just wanted to tell you everything I knew about this stuff before we uh, continued with this weird black stuff that we don't understand. I was going to say, if that's even what it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, It could also, you know, just be obsidian or it could be something brand new. What else did I find here? Nothing. My other research is for other stuff. Oh, here we go. Black crystals are used during medication to keep one grounded and to feel protected. Black crystals can help ease, can help ease us into deep states of meditation and introspection. So if Virginia starts going into some states of <laughs> introspection, then we'll know. <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> I'm hoping that we can go back and listen to this podcast in like a year from now and be like, aha, we were talking about that. And that's what they said <laughs> on the show. <laughs> but we are backtracking a little bit. We are going back to, they split up Scooby-Doo style, Fred and Daphne. I mean, Eric and Mara. They go about, they're openly sharing their secrets with each other. There's a lot of uh, arm grabbing and direct eye contact happening here between Mara and Ike. Interesting stuff, if you're into that kind of thing. They double split up at this point just to get things done faster. So Tove goes off with Clements and Ivan goes off with Virginia. And we get a really good shot when they split up here of Clements, she has one of those pyramid barrettes in her hair. It's like, it's the exact same symbol as the boat. Did you happen to notice that? Mm-hmm. Excellent. There's a, they, they should be selling that barrette on Etsy or something. They got to be doing that. There you go. Get on it, Steve. <laughs> Who, me? It's got to be the official yeah, yeah. merchandise. All right. <clears throat> true. Get on it, 1899. There you go. So, uh, men? Oh, yes. The men and Ying Li. They're the ones that are heading down. Lucian is kind of uh, stink eye and Ling Yi and uh, Olik. 
I thought at first that he was giving her the stink eye because he was thinking to himself, you know, why are you coming with us? You're supposed to be with the ladies. But then I remembered, oh, yeah, they, they kind of shared a moment uh, a couple episodes back. So that's why Ling Yi, I mean, that's why Lucian was kind of checking her out and having questions going through his mind. Um, she won't leave Oleg's side at this point um, now that her mom is gone. And I'll get to that again in a second, because I was going to say that was another kind of tonal shift that I didn't expect, but it happens a little later on with Ling Yi. But for right now, they're in the hallway and they see those crystals for the first time and they're kind of amazed at them. Um, we don't see much of Franz, the sauce boss, this episode, but we see him, you know, this episode talking about how weird that stuff is. Daniel arrives just in time to tell him not to touch it. And you can see that stuff is growing and I don't know, not much else to say about that right now because we've already talked all about it. Yeah. So we go back to Fred and Daphne. They go back down the hatch and they're questioning each other, just questioning reality basically because the two of them know like there's weird stuff going on. So they're trying to figure out if this is a dream, if it is, who's the dreamer. I've been there, y'all. I know how it is when you're... <laughs> You don't know what's <laughs> happening in your world. Um, so this portal is the one that leads them to the mental mental institution, and they're looking for the boy. And Ike is, you know, of course, he likes to say, you know, this is not real. How is this possible? Seeing all those ships at the end, just my inside, just my theory right now, just based on what we've seen, is perhaps this whole world like from the portal that they crawled out of to that grass pathway in the entire institution is all a ship. It's all the inside of a ship and it's a giant ship. And then Ike's dream, that's another ship just like with a forest world that leads in a little path to his house. So I guess it's possible that they could just be going from ship to ship with just these normal pathways that just lead under the water or lead from ship to ship perhaps while they're dry docked because obviously they're dry docked because we can see ike in the prometheus at the end yeah i'm still i i almost think it's like a double matrix kind of thing i think it's like a simulation inside of a simulation some some elon musk crap <laughs> I guess I can't wrap my head around it. So, but, so when I saw all those ships docked up and they were kind of close to each other, that's the first thing I thought was like, they, they dressed up the inside of ships somehow and they're all connected. Well, but I know that's not correct. I know it. I, I agree with you. It seems like double simulation, like the whole ship that they're in on sea and that whole big old thing is all a simulation. And then when they climb into the hatches, they're going into a second simulation I agree with you, but I'm just trying to make sense of all those ships being docked, and I'm trying to ground this into reality, if it's even well, possible to. So what is the name of the old guy running the whole thing? Um, Do we know his name? Henry Singleton. Henry Singleton. He says at one point, this experiment cannot fail, mm -hmm. or something like that. Yeah. So all those old ships, what if they're just all the old failed experiments? Oh, wow. 
<laughs> and just mm-hmm. poor poor simulation programming or whatever and you can figure out a way to get back into them like uh like ike did yeah just that absolutely makes sense um yeah i'm with you (laughs) i like going with that line of thought um yeah it makes perfect sense and daniel says to the boy we've never gotten this far before um usually the ship (laughs) becomes a big pile of hull (laughs) Dang. Well, let's go to break with that one so I can wrap my head around it. We'll be right back, Nate. Okay? Alrighty. We are back here with Nate. Hello, Nate. Hello, Steve. We are listening to Rebecca Crow during the break here. I should say that's myself. I wrote that song and Heather Barnes, my wife, is singing that. And so that's what we're plugging this week. When Lord Win by Rebecca Crow. But we're back here. We are with Tove and Clements at this point. They are, you know, looking for passengers. And Clements admires the strength and the freedom of Tove. Uh, we learned that she wanted to have kids until she met her nieces and nephews, and that changed her mind. thought that was hilarious. Um, she tells us things end up the opposite of the way you think. Um, just in life, basically, which I agree with her. And then she starts to resent her dress and put on some pants, and she feels much better. And I couldn't agree more. what did you think about that scene well right now i'm wondering if you got personal experience from taking a dress off (laughs) putting pants on (laughs) i do not but i know what she's saying i mean it's probably really uncomfortable (laughs) to walk around that big frilly dress and it's probably really freeing for her just to wear some slacks yeah i mean she says men invented heels and dresses so women couldn't run away or something like that exactly I liked it. I mean, I don't, I don't know what this is going to foretell in the future, but obviously it was a moment for her because, you know, the music happened and everything. We haven't, she, she hasn't alluded to being a doctor or anything like that, right? No. The only thing she's alluded to is her family and that we know that she's got some money or did at one point. I was going to say that was the, we talked about in the very beginning, I think maybe even the, like episode one, like our prequel episode where we talked about the trailer. Mm-hmm. Women dress up, would dress up as men right. if they were going to be doctors or they were trying to practice medicine. That doesn't describe her necessarily, but yeah, that, that is tied in with there. Absolutely. Unless they, unless they do tie it in. Maybe. Who? Maybe she'll be the one that delivers the baby. Who oh, knows? Dang. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Look at that. We are, we are just moving and grooving today. I got <laughs> the hamsters really getting his workout. <laughs> well, the men are down the engine room doing their thing too. They're trying to make the hamster wheel go. Oleg <laughs> is taking charge. You hear Oleg giving orders down there. I bet he loves that. Um, not in a bad way. It seems like he, you know, natural leader. He's a good dude. They need coal, though, so he has to go up to the coal chute to do the thing. 
And Ling Yi follows because she doesn't want to be left down there. I think with Lucian. I think she just doesn't want to be down there with Lucian at this point, is my guess. But this is what I think is odd about this scene. Is that her mom just died. She just watched her mom jump over the ship and die. And now she's up here, you know, falling down in the coal with Olick, um, smiling at him, asking him flirty questions, kissing Olick. It just didn't jive with me, knowing, because that's all I was thinking about was that her mom just died. And Olick, I mean, you just lost Landon. You just lost your best buddy Landon with the garlic necklace, and he should be upset about that too. And instead, they just kind of, Falling in love in the coal pit, I guess. I don't know. That's, I don't know. Did you, did that thought cross your mind or is it just me? I think that one's just you. <laughs> okay. No one else, no one else seems overly upset about anyone dying. <laughs> beat by beat here, they crank that little thing together. They, they fall down on the coal pit. He drops his photograph and that's when she, you know, looks at the picture of the Statue of Liberty, asks him like, hey, you got a lady you're going back to? He's like, nope, just my brother. So that's when, you know, they, yeah, they're in love, you know? Yes, they're in love. I just think it's a weird time to be, to be kissing. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it's a TV show. They want to do this kind of stuff and it's beautiful. They played the good music. They did the beat just right. It was fine, but it's just, it just made me uh, blink a couple times. That's all. You can't have everything a hundred percent, you know? I don't know. <laughs> but Daniel is following Mara and Eric. We see him going through the uh, the portal as well. We see him stop at the grave and pay some respects. Whose grave is that? Is that the little boy's grave? Yes. I think it is. I think it's Zombie Boy's grave. He really is Zombie Boy. I do believe that. Um, just knowing what we know that they were married about 12 years ago. Little boy looks like he's somewhere 12 or younger. Mara talks about how she can't have children anymore or can't have children, period. Mm. Maybe she and Daniel had a child and then lost it and then she lost her mind or, I don't know, grasping at straws. I think that's the little boy's grave. That's what I'm trying to get at. What if all of the characters, excluding Daniel, are all part of Mara's psyche? And she, it's mm. exploring the different aspects of her psyche in this simulation. And she's connected to something even bigger that we would find out in probably season two. Because that would be a really big wrap up for season one. Yeah, I like that a lot, actually, because I'm, that's what I've been kind of asking myself is like, what is the significance of these people here now? There's 17 of them left. So I'm like, what role does Virginia play, for example? What role does Ivan and, you know, um, Anchor play? It doesn't seem like they really play much of a role besides supporting characters for Tove, but they're all here for a reason. So I really like that a lot. I've been trying to kind of piece together like why each person is here and that would make a lot of sense. Different size then, of her personality, sibling it up, sibling it up. And then each part of the dreams would be like 
not necessarily a true reflection, but maybe like a reflection that of something that happened in Mara's life. So, for example, to run with the zombie boy thing, mm-hmm. if he's dead, like Ike's children are dead, mm. and his wife, right? His wife is the one that burned the house down. Yes. Maybe that's Mara taking, personifying her guilt for potentially whatever happened to her child or children. Tove's thing today, which we'll get to, um, maybe that could be something that has to do with the conception of the child or something like that. Uh, right. You know, Mara has problems with her. Mara has problems with her dad. So Ying Li and the mom resentment. Ying Li resented her mom. Look at that. I was saying before how I thought that maybe the boy was Tove's boy because of all the different clues they were giving us. But if Tove is a part of Mara, then that supports that theory. All right. Dang. Well, she's explaining to us now about this whole hospital and the reason that it's here is because of her dad. She tells us a lot about herself here. Um, That her mom started to forget things, then she started to forget names, and then she started to forget people in general. I'm at the forgetting names stage currently at age 50. (laughs) So pretty soon I'll start forgetting people in general, but right now I'm just forgetting names. Are you at any of those stages yet where you're for, you forget things and you're not really sure why? There's no logical reason? Yeah, usually it's things to do. Yeah. Do you ever call anybody by the wrong name? Yeah. I not do. frequently, but I, I do. I do. it. I mean, I figured you might with um, having roommates in the house that so you would call the roommate by the wrong roommate name. I know I call people by the wrong family member or pet name around here a lot. Oh, I'll tell you later. No, tell me now. So my roommate uh, got me a Christmas gift and it's a book from an antique shop and it's called the book of lowly songs or something like that. Okay. So I flipped it open and it's, it's an old book. It's not very big. Um, it is the original edition, first edition, written and published in 1899. Oh, wow. <laughs> now, I didn't, I didn't take a whole lot of time to flip through it yet because I had just gotten home yesterday from Pittsburgh. But um, I, I had to chuckle to myself a little bit when I, when I opened the cover and I saw 1899. So that's totally rad because I looked up 18 songs from 1899 as well to try to kind of get a feel for what songs we might hear in this show. I was completely wrong about that angle, but I didn't really hear much from that era that really caught my ear. So I hope you have some good tunes for us next week. I will take a picture of it and some of the lyrics and stuff like that because some of them are pretty dark. Like the show. Heck yeah, man. (laughs) So Henry started this place up because he wanted to figure out the human brain and how to repair it. Um, Almost a noble quest. Sounds like he might be one of these mad scientist types that starts out doing something good and then he ends up 
in a world full of pyramids and he's crazy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> pyramid scheme. Oh, yes. He's the pyramid master. Um, Ike and Mara go into, you know, the room that she remembers from, from her therapy that she hates, but they discover that it's the, it's the ship's hull here. This is when they start tearing down the walls and they discover that it seems like it's the same kind of material as the ship's hull that they're inside here. Uh, they're very confused and we are too. We'll leave them for now, though, and we're going to go up to the room where the two priests and Sebastian are pretend priests, I should say. Um, <laughs> both of them are pretenders. Uh, they're up there with Sebastian just sending out their, their signals, trying to get help. And Sebastian seems like he's very impatient and just kind of storms off with no real reason. But we get a real good scene here between Anchor and Ramiro where Anchor confesses all his feelings of spiritual emptiness, I guess, to Romero. And they don't understand each other, but they do. Romero gets the sense that this man is confessing to him. So Romero, you know, reaches into himself and is very comforting to Anchor and tells him that he's forgiven. Um, I had to watch the scene a couple of times because the first time I watched it, I just could not believe <laughs> again, Steve, Mr. Reality here. I was looking at that actor playing anchor and I was like, he looks nothing like himself. This looks nothing like the actor that I know, Tom Marilyn, the confident, self-assured, long haired, you know, guitar guy. Um, so the first time I watched the scene, I wasn't even listening. I was just wa looking at his face and just thinking about just how different he looked. Um, so this scene I watched like many, many times. It's not like he got a lot from the scene, but I just really liked the, um, I don't know, the emotion they brought to it. I thought they were great. I like these two guys together. Yeah. See, we're still looking for passengers, though. The ladies are doing their thing. Virginia and Ivan kind of going about the same deal they don't understand each other either um, but Ivan is telling her in her own language that our stories have already been written there's nothing we can do except just to go about the story that has been written for us by God it's it's God's plan you know Virginia seems like she's really moved by her words I guess she's just moved by her emotion I suppose but she notices the crystal. She touches it. I guess we'll call this black finger syndrome. I don't know. She got frostbite. Frostbit. Yes. <laughs> she got the frostbite. <laughs> she can't shake it off. Um, I was a little suspicious of Virginia, you know, like not suspicious, but you know, we talked about in early in this uh, podcast, we were talking about the snakes in the grass, like, Clements in Virginia, who it seems like there are a couple of people that haven't really done anything yet or aroused our suspicions. So we're kind of keeping a keen eye out for them. Virginia, though, I mean, she, she definitely is a victim here. She did not know what the crystal was. She's not in on anything. She is purely panicking right now. So, you know, welcome to yes. our reality. As a character, she seems like she's been kind of castrated the last couple episodes she doesn't have many scenes she doesn't really do a whole lot when she is on screen true 
And now she's part of the search party and she's got frostbite. She does. Doesn't look, it's going to get worse. I know it. <laughs> this will bring her story to the forefront. Obviously something's going to happen. We got conflict finally. Cause before we had no conflict with Virginia other than she was, other than that she was in charge of the, of the ladies. Right. Um, but now she's got a higher purpose, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> All right, right now is when Tove sees a definite ghost of Crester. We know it's Crester because, like, he looks at her for a second. It's absolutely him that either she's hallucinating it or somebody is leading her to a, another vision. It seems like that's what's going on here. Like, the, like Ike was led to his vision, and she, and she here is being led to hers by Crester. Um, so she goes back in time here and she's in a hayfield, not pregnant. So we know she's gone back in time. She goes to a hay bale. And again, we've seen this a bunch of times where there's like a frozen scene happening and everybody's there like mannequins. And then they come to life like at one particular moment. So that's what happens here. Um, they come to life and, uh, uncle Eddie, I guess I'll call him Uncle Eddie because we don't like this guy's name. We, we can call him A-Hole if we'd like because he is, but Uncle Eddie is good enough for now. Because, yeah, Randy Quaid is kind of a questionable – he's kind of a questionable dude like in real life. Like he's – you know, he's all funny, ha-ha and stuff, but he's a real like kind of a whack job. So I think calling him Cousin Eddie is not a bad thing here. But he shoots Crester right in the face and Tove wakes up to find herself back on the boat. And again, she's in a panic. Um, Ivan is the one, Ivan is the one who's there to comfort her. Um, and Virginia is acting completely normal now. Because um, we see Virginia's in this scene, but she's not looking panicky, not looking frostbitten. Just looks normal. I guess she does a good job of hiding it. Well, yeah, that's kind of like in her character. She kind of like keeps secrets. So that makes sense. Yeah. But they were in room 2102. I'm making a point to write down every room number that we see so I can go back in my notes later because I'm sure these numbers are going to come up in some point. It, they're just too coincidental. Um, but that's the room that they were in. Sebastian revisits the bar and we see him do the same thing that the little boy did except for the opposite. That light comes out of the cabinet when he goes in there. Um, we don't see him in again, for a couple scenes, but that's what Sebastian's up to is he obviously knows about the portals and how to use them. So he's more of a guy than we ever thought before. Mara and Ike are still investigating and they're at the entrance of her father's office, but it's no longer there anymore in this reality. But she does, uh, she tells Ike, about what the boy had said about their listening and to ask the creator. And again, they grasp hands and they hold some really strong eye contact again. It's like, I wanted to pronounce the man and wife right there. Like it's like their love <laughs> is, you can tell there's like a lot of feelings happening there. Definitely. They're having some feelings. Um, and Ike, Ike is the one who suggests that they're inside of a ship. And that's, you know, he kind of led me to my line of thinking that they were all inside ships, just what, from what he said. 
So that's kind of why my brain ran with that, just because of Ike. Eh. I like your theory better, though, so I'm going to go with that in the future. All right. Alrighty, there. Uh, Toby and Clements are in the next scene, and they're down below now. So it looks like they've they've finished searching all the nice rooms upstairs. Now they're down below, searching the lower decks, and they find Ada's doll down there, and it brings up emotions in Tove. At this point, Clements kind of leaves Tove to her thoughts and to her grief for a moment, and this is a nice time for part three because she's by herself again. But first, she doesn't just slip into the, you know, the thoughts into the dream thing. She uh, she sees Crestor. He's Blair witched in the corner, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely Crestor. But when he turns around, he's he's cousin, he's cousin Eddie again. And she's back in the dream. Um, she goes back to continue the dream. Uh, apparently, uh, cousin Eddie's found out about Crestor and his son that they're lovers. So he insists on on raping Tove as some sort of equalizer. And th- this is why Crestor's words to her in past episodes now sound much harsher than we thought they were at the time. When he was saying things to Tove in episodes two and three, like everything's not about you and, you know, the things that happened to you, it's not it's not about you and we see a lot more about the relationship now. I mean, this is a nightmare scenario, complete nightmare scenario where you have your family tied up, you know, watching one of your members get assaulted. Fortunately, Ada was not there to see this. She was at school at the time. So that might, it in part explains why Ada's a little bit differently than the rest of the family, because she didn't go through this trauma that the family went through. She was at school. She didn't know about any of this. So she's just kind of, you know, la la along. So it, it kind of explains some past behavior with them. Okay, yeah, that was something, something that Crestor was saying in the past was like, it's not his fault what happened to her. That is what he said, like, after, like, that hair washing scene. Crestor does say something along the lines of, it's not my yeah. fault what happened to you. And in some sense, he's right, because this guy was a maniac and he was obviously after Tove anyway, and this was just an opportunity for him, and he took the opportunity. So Crestor's kind of right. It's not Crestor's fault, but in a way it kind of is. I mean, Crestor was an impetus to that happening. Yeah, it. because uh, Crestor was working on his farm, right? Yes. I wonder if, because Crestor looks younger, so I wonder how young the other person was, and maybe that's what caused such a violent reaction from the farmer. You know I, what I'm saying? Like, I guess it could. I, sure. I don't. I don't. I, it felt like he was alluding to like because he said something about. I really don't want to misquote it, but something about like defiling his boy. Yes. Or something he like that. He stole something. And, he stole his innocence. Yeah. And that made me think like, oh man, like this wasn't just like another like 16 year old kid necessarily. Because back then, like when you were 16, you were pretty much an adult. Right. Like this made it seem like Crestor was, you know, kind of pulling a Michael Jackson. 
I, th- I got the implication that that Crester and this guy's son were just lovers and they just, you know, did some stuff together and got caught. <clears throat> yeah. I didn't get any kind of implication that it was anything. It, even if it was, it doesn't justify this dude's actions. So no matter what, yeah. Crester, even, okay, and let, let's go with your theory. Let's say it was that. Let's say the kid was like 11 and Crester was 18. Even if that was the case, I still think Crester not showing a whole lot of remorse for that and not really being sympathetic to his sister is uh, is remarkable. Oh, that is, yeah. What what happened to Tove shouldn't have happened at all. I mean, but what happened to Crester? <laughs> right. I feel like in a way is not enough. And it should have, he maybe should have gotten worse punishment. <laughs> well, he got shot in the face. If, if we were, well, I mean, maybe a little bit worse than that. <laughs> Only if it rolls with my theory of, you know, like the pedophilia thing. Like if it, if they were both of, you know, the same age and they were just like, like what you were saying, like that's totally fine. I think but, that's the case, and this guy right. obviously oh. is a landowner and thinks that Crester I, was working on his farm. Yeah, the whole family was. Yeah. Oh yeah, and then just to when anger to throw it back real quick, mm-hmm. uh, when anger was talking about how he was a farmer and he wasn't a man of God, mm-hmm. but then his wife started hearing the voices. Mm-hmm. That's a hundred percent just a response to trauma. Exactly. Yes. So I think and this he is... was just trying. He was just trying to be a good dad and roll with it. Good, good father and good husband. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What else? I mean, he's seen. He's been in pain this entire series. We've never seen yeah. him smile or anything. So yeah. he's he's carrying all the guilt with him. And yeah, he's, he's letting the mom do it. Cause if the mom wasn't doing what she was doing, he might just be in a fetal ball, like inconsolable, you know, for months yeah. on end. I mean, it seems he's taking it very harsh, very hard. And he probably saw a lot of hope and like, Oh, my wife's hearing voices now and she's giving us things to do. Okay, good. Let's do something instead of just keep thinking about this. Yeah. See, the interesting thing about Ada, though, is, um, you know, she didn't see this happen. Uh, She was at school, but um, a person named, I think this is just their online name, Faith Peace, in the Facebook group, was telling us, the question was, that we were talking about in the group, was, why would Daniel have killed Ada? Doesn't seem in character for Daniel to do something like that. Faith Peace has an answer for us. She says, presumably it was a required action to start the mutiny. And seeing as it seems he's been trying different steps every time, you assume it was something that he hadn't done before. So likely to result in a different outcome. Ada is the name of a ransomware computer virus, which encrypts and locks DOS files. It's a memory resident virus. It stays in the memory of the computer it infects after the program. Mm. After the program it infects executes, 
In other words, it stays in the computer after you think you've gotten rid of it. It often will emit background clicking noises through your speakers. May or may not be relevant as the Kerberos is also a computer authen, authen, authentic, you know what I'm trying to say, authentic, authentication program that allows hosts to communicate across an untrusted network. Prometheus is a real-time monitoring and metrics program. And then everybody said, Faith, you're awesome. That's great. Faith went on to say Ada also could be a reference to Ada Lovelace is who it is. And Ada Lovelace had a mutual friend, Mary Somerville, the author, and Charles Babbage and her were friends. And it was Ada Lovelace's detailed and elaborate annotations that allowed the analytical engine that Babbage invented to run back in 1842. Uh, it weaves algebraic programs. So she's basically saying that Ada could be named after this Ada Lovelace person who had a lot to do with computer programming or this virus software. But I thought the first thing she said was the most interesting, that Daniel killing Ada might have been like the first step to make the mutiny happen. Hmm. Time for another break, Nate. We'll be right back. Already. Hey, we're back from break. A little bit more Rebecca Crow there. We didn't finish talking about the horrible scene with Tove and her family. That scene ends when she Game of Thrones that guy to the face, busts his face all up, and she wakes up, and she has blood on her face. Did you notice that? Yes. That's insane. (laughs) It's our triple reality now. Like, she was inside some reality, and some imaginary blood got on her face, but then she's in this reality, and the imaginary blood's still there. I... We got us a triple simulation now. <laughs> yeah, I, I I had missed that the first time through, and the second time when I watched that, I about had a heart attack because I you know, just, first because I missed it, and then second because I was trying to figure out how that even could be possible. But then again, this show was not possible. <laughs> how did you miss it the first time? Oh, whoa, hold on, Steve. What if we're all in a simulation right now? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I oh, mean, well, I'm thinking about everyone, this. I've never met you face to face. I've only seen you on my computer screen. Just like Patrick said in SpongeBob. My mind is an enigma. That's what he says. But I'm an enigma. <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, I mean, to tangent that real quick, I mean, everyone's first big thing when you talk simulation theory is the whole mandela effect okay like you know who uh curious george is right yes did he have a tail (laughs) or did he not have a tail right right for me it was the berenstain bears yes that's the big one yeah that's the what is it it's berenstain or berenstain something like that it's actually Baron, it's actually Berenstain Bears, but everybody remembers it as Berenstain Bears. So I don't know. I still don't know how this blood could have gotten on her face, though. 
I mean, Clemens addresses it. Yes. So. So that's why I'm confused about it. <laughs> I was kind of I was kind of waiting for like because they show Clemens looking down. Mm-hmm. I was kind of waiting to see like a pool of blood and like maybe she had lost the baby or something like that, but they never fully pan the camera down. So I was like, oh, is this a mystery? That can't be the case because they show her later in the episode and she's totally fine. Yeah. It's just mystery the, blood. It, yeah. It's the first time we've seen. No, it's not the first time we've seen something come out of that because the, the ribbon from Ike's memory and his girl that was there on the ship. That's another tangible object that traveled from portal to portal, I guess. True. Very true. Yep. Well, let's get back down below. The boys and Ling Yi are shoveling coal, trying to get the ship running back up. And this is where we learn about Lucian and we learn about why he's being such a jerk. It all makes sense now that he's got a probable brain tumor and that he's going to get risky experimental surgery once he gets to America that he's pretty sure he's not going to live through, but he's hoping against hope. Um, So it really explains his demeanor. Um, And he says to Jerome, you know, fate is taking care of you because I'm going to die. So you're all good, Jerome. It's around this time, though, that that the ship actually does power up. So we have a lot of hope now. We see the the smokestack going. We see the lights light up. (laughs) Ramiro kisses Anchor. That was the top-notch moment of this episode. (laughs) Anchor, like, kind of freaking out about it. (laughs) I like that scene a lot. Uh, Anchor, don't play that. (laughs) Uh, Oh, yeah, that's right. This is the scene, too. This is the other scene that I didn't like. Here we go. So Ramiro and Anchor are realizing that they need to steer the ship, and Sebastian's not there. So they're kind of freaking out, figuring out what to do. Ramiro goes right to those maps. Like, not only is he a really capable physical dude, he's a really capable mental guy as well. He, like, locks in where they're at. He knows how to read a map, knows how to navigate. Anchor's looking through these books, though, And they're all like fake books, just fake phony books on a shelf. And they all have the same cutesy pie cheeky saying in it. May your coffee kick in before your reality does. So uh, when are we putting that on coffee mugs? It already is. I've already seen it it? for sale. (laughs) Yes, I have. (laughs) Oh, man. Merry Christmas to myself. (laughs) I don't know. I don't like these cutesy sayings like this. I don't like it. Um, that's just me. I'm in the minority. Everybody hates me. I've already like made a meme about this and it got just downvoted to heck. Um, no. But I don't know. I, it just, it, it took me out of it a bit just with this little saying. I would have been much better if that book was full of, um, you know, uh, code, one zeros and ones. I think that would have been much better. Or if it just had Ike Larson's name just over and over and over again, or Maura Franklin's name over and over and over again. Um, this saying sounds like something Henry Singleton would do, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> he loves these little cheeky sayings, so I'm sure it was him. But hey, speaking of which, 
our next scene, we're on the pyramid world. We're on some reality, which it seems like the way they're talking, that this is the real world. This is reality, what they're standing in, these weird pyramids and this weird sky. Sebastian and Henry meet up. Um, Henry, I'm not Henry, Sebastian broke protocol by coming here. Why'd you break protocol, Sebastian? Um, but he lets him know, and this is interesting, he lets him know in English that it's 48 hours until the transfer. Now, every other time we've seen Sebastian speak, he's speaking German. And Ike will speak German to Sebastian to give him instructions, and then he'll turn around to everybody else and speak English. So Sebastian is pretending like he doesn't speak English, I suppose. But the boy is still missing, and that's the important thing. We need the pyramid for the success of the project. People are oblivious to reality. They only see what they want to see, imprisoned by their mind's restrictions. When all they have to do is shift their perspective to see the full scope of things. His dialogue is obviously very important. Um, I, I understand what he's saying, um, but I haven't been able to quite shift my perspective to see the full scope of things quite yet. I'm still asking questions. I have a lot of questions. Yeah. Like, you know, like when he like did the little handoff to Sebastian with the chunk, he can touch the crystal. He's fine. Virginia's not fine, but he is. And he hands it to Sebastian and just turns to dust before his eyes and blows away as if to tell us that like anything that we see is not real. Even Sebastian, I guess. Yeah. Maybe. But I do know one thing. Mara and Ike, they are the ones able to shift their perspective. They're doing it in this very next scene. They're like pulling you know, reality away to see what's underneath of it. So they are actively doing exactly what they should be doing is trying to, you know, find what's really going on. They're getting close, I believe, but Daniel pops up just in time to stop Mara from touching the crystals. And they have a very odd standoff here um, because Ike can tell that Daniel knows more than he's letting on. So of course Ike's not into that. They become enemies here in a struggle and Ike pulls a gun and is at this point, Daniel reveals himself to Mara that he's, you know, her husband, but first he sends Ike back into another reality. He uses his little slatty thing and he sends Ike back on to his, his forest, I suppose. Um, where is he from? Norway? I can't remember where he's from, but. I thought Ike was from Germany. Yeah, I guess he is, but I just thought they were singing like a Norwegian song at that. Yeah, scratch that. Yeah, they're in German. <laughs> they're in Germany. <laughs> but yeah, he snaps Ike back there to that reality. And this is when Daniel reveals that 12 years ago they were married. I've already said what I thought about the kid. But Mara's not quite sure what to believe. So she, first she grabs the slidey thing and she's got that now in her pocket. So Mara now has the scarab bug, uh, Scrappy, I'm sorry, and the slidey thing. So she locks Daniel away into room 1011. It's that same room that, that she and Ike were just in. But he doesn't have any way to get out. Um, so he doesn't have any of his little tricks. 
I'm hoping that the boy shows up to help him out of this situation. That's the only thing I can foresee because we haven't seen the boy at all. So I'm assuming that the boy is going to let him out. But um, his final words to Mora before she shuts the door is wake up because <laughs> he's desperately trying to get her, I guess, to wake up from this reality that she's in. I think I'm most intrigued to see where Mara's going to go with all of it because in my perspective, she doesn't believe him. She doesn't believe Daniel at all. I think she might. There, I don't think it looks like there's any even consideration that, you know, they might be married and things like that. I think that she just views him as a guy that knows way more um, than what he's led on and that he's the one to blame for all the the deaths and the misfortune that have happened on the boat. Okay. Yeah, she's obviously distraught. I mean, this is the most distraught I think we've seen her. And that's how we leave her. <laughs> no, that's not how we leave yeah. her. That's how she leaves the room. She runs out in a panic at this point. This is the point where she throws the rock because um, she knows. She like, throws, yeah. She throws the gun, doesn't she? I think she just picked up a rock off the ground. The, the gun she never grabbed. She grabbed the slidey thing and put that in her pocket. No, she, she definitely grabbed the gun because she points it at Daniel and backs him into the. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she th- because I, I remember her throwing. I feel like I remember her throwing the gun, and I was like, "The show and gun safety do not go together." <laughs> well, I saw it as a rock, but regardless, if it was the gun or the rock, she threw it to smash the glass. Um, Heather's first thought was uh, the Truman Show. My first thought was Time Bandits because that's the first thing I saw that where somebody you know smashed the glass of reality. Was there something, another show that did that too? No, you just, I never saw the Truman Show and I never saw Time Bandits. So okay. I don't, I didn't get those references yet. Okay. Well, I mean, if, okay, well, good. I mean, was that a striking visual to you? I think it was really well done. Yeah. I mean, I, it, the first thing it made me wonder is how big is, the simulation right or reality or whatever because it it didn't crack all that far away from her i mean yeah she ran over to like where the portal area where like where the portal was and where the boy's grave was like the same little pathway so like you can see this great distance in the shots but like how much of that is just (laughs) generated Right, yeah. You obviously can't go very far left or right. You just go down your path. Right. I wondered the same thing myself, too, and that's why I was envisioning everything as boat-sized. Like, everything's just basically boat-sized, and you just follow (laughs) the path, and as long as you don't veer from that path, you're not going to realize that reality is smaller than you realize. She throws the gun, cracks reality. Daddy's watching. <laughs> yeah. She, oh yeah, the top down, the top down view. Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. Um, 
so yeah, her dad is obviously watching. He's got those nine monitors in his office. And the first time we saw those nine monitors at the end of, um, it was episode two, uh, we saw, what was it? Lucian, Sebastian, the boy, Virginia, Jerome, Clements, Mara, Daniel, Ike was in the middle. Now, when you look at those monitors, he's moved them around some. We see the room with the two priests, because I, I froze that scene where you saw the monitors where he was watching Mara. So, yeah, one of the, one of the screens is Mara. One of the screens is the two priests. One of the screens is like an overhead view of the ship that they're on, like a bird's eye view. One is like the, the first class hallway. Another one is the boiler room where the guys are shoveling coal into the boiler. One of them is the Tove's quarters, like where the, the lower class are sleeping. And then the last one shows like the bar and the galley. So I don't know where these cameras are set up, but they're moving all around a lot. So he can pretty much see anything he wants. The four women obviously found no survivors. They come back up on top of the ship and there's, you know, they make mention that there's no survivors. And we see Virginia. It's not just her finger anymore. It's like her whole hand is like frost bit now. Pyramid crystal bit. We see this huge storm approaching and Tove insists this can't be real. Ike comes from the forest. He's obviously found his way back onto a portal, but the portal led him back to the Prometheus somehow. He wakes up in the Prometheus and he can't believe this. He says this can't be real also. Um, I believe him. It can't be real. Uh, he's in this broken down ship in this big yard among many ships. Um, Jimi Hendrix comes on with some all along the watchtower. To take us home on this episode, the end. Yeah. I liked All Along the Watchtower at the end of this episode, except I was already expecting it. Um, this is a song they played during the trailer of the show. So we knew this song was coming. We got two songs left, Nate, for episode seven, episode eight. I've got two guesses what they're going to be. Hit me. Okay. One of them, I think, I think it's Buffalo Springfield. Is that song where he goes, there's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. That would be a perfect song because everybody's really confused. Maybe a season ender for that one. And then the other one, I thought, um, good old song, good old nautical song by the Beatles. Called Octopus's Garden. That'd be, I think that'd be a fantastic ender for one episode to, to juxtapose, juxtapose some tragedy. Okay. You got any thoughts? All right. Two songs. One of them, I'm going to say Brain Damage. By Pink Floyd oh. for maybe the very end. If if you want to roll with, I think it's brain damage. It's either brain damage or eclipse. Be the one where he why. says the lunatic is in the grass. That one. Yeah. Yeah. That one for the very end. If we roll with the like Mara's just a crazy person. I'm getting chills thinking about that. That's a great great choice. 
Um, hmm. <laughs> and then uh, I'll roll with that for the very last episode. Before that, I think we're still going to have some, some conflict next episode. So I'm going to say... The band is, what is it? The band's like 10 years or something. 10 years after? I think so. Is I Don't Want to Change the World or something? Doesn't sound familiar. Oh, no. What is that song? Hmm. I don't know. I'll have to fit. I know that I have it saved on Spotify. I'll send it to you. (laughs) Alrighty. I'd rather hear it right now, but okay. I'll hear it later on Spotify, I suppose. All right. The next episode is called The Storm. And I just, while you were talking just now, I was thinking, huh, REO Speedwagon, riding the storm out. That'd be a pretty, uh, pretty kick-ass song for the next episode, if you're familiar with that one. Ooh, as much as I hate them, could be Riders of the Storm by the Doors. Oh, that would be perfect, actually. Yeah, that's a pretty, uh, pretty tonal heavy song, too. They could pick lots of moments yeah. from that. But I don't know. We'll see if we get our wishes. I hope we do. I like what they've chosen so far, though. It's pretty good. The song, the episode gets an automatic downvote if the doors play, though. <laughs> in your eyes, not in mine. <laughs> Me and Heather sorry. do two door songs in this room, I'll have you know. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> Teach their own. Well, speaking of to each their own, that's the music we heard today was myself and Heather. We're in a band called Rebecca Crow. I used one of our songs, Win Lord Win, for this episode. Uh, we're trying to work on something new. We have a new song called Ode to Joy, originally done by Pac AD. Uh, I just need to get the drums tightened up on that. That'll be out one day from Rebecca Crow. But my other main plug, I always want you to go to intro.void and follow me on Instagram, but keep listening to this show, please. Uh, if you're not already followed or subscribed, keep doing so because we're going to be keep doing stuff every week, even after 1899 is done. And then we'll be back for season two and hopefully season three. Uh, Nate, you're the void master. You got any plugs for this week? Please just follow us on Instagram at void.master. Follow us on Spotify or Bandcamp, uh, voidmaster.bandcamp.com. Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Deezer, what if anyone uses that, I don't know. <laughs> they do. <laughs> all, all that all that other kind of nonsense. Um yeah, I think that's about it. Hope everyone had a good Christmas. Absolutely. Or holiday rather, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, it's the world on Christmas, buddy. We got our guns to Christmas's head. So we can't say Christmas anymore. I can't wish anybody a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I have a Jewish friend that I accidentally told Merry Christmas to. And he was like, you do know that I'm Jewish, right? I said, Lahayim. I don't know. It's all the same. Yeah. Happy holidays to you, buddy. Happy Hanukkah. That's right. Happy all, that's happy right. nothing if you don't celebrate anything. I mean, that's fine too. Yeah. Happy, uh, happy day off of work. Yeah. Well, if, if you get that, unless you're in the service industry, Jesus. <laughs> oh, true. Very true. We don't want to end on a downer. Uh, write us if you'd like. We're at sweetchildoftimepod at gmail.com. We want everybody to have every day off work. We want a utopian... Uh, uh, 
<laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> I just want to let everybody know Steve's the one talking right now. Not me. Not Nate. It's all Steve. It no. doesn't know how to end an episode. I end an episode by saying, Nate, may you always find water and shade. May you always find water and shade, Steve. Thank you, sir. Bye, everybody. See you next week with the storm. See you guys.